Oh, what is up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for listening to the Untying Knots podcast. This is episode five. Just a reminder to uh, like and subscribe if you're enjoying the podcast so far. Please, we'd love to hear from you. So send us your feedback um, and you can follow us on Instagram also. Hope you enjoy episode five with Mark. Now this is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down. And I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there. I'll tell you how I became the prince of a town called Bel Air. So welcome to the Untying Knots podcast. Today I'm joined by youth worker, Martha. How are you, mate? Good, I'm good. How have you been through the COVID period? Yeah, real good. I think um, I'm kind of coming out of COVID feeling really thankful yeah. for everything. Yeah. I think um, all the distractions were out and I was able to really focus and heal myself internally. Yeah, so sure. I could, yeah, I'll do another lockdown, literally. So you've really benefited from it, from that aspect. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah right. I definitely did. So it was How did you go initially? In it, in it. So, like, because it was like two or three stages, right? So, were you the mm-hmm. same, like, all the way through? Because I know, like, say the first stage, I was like, breath of fresh air, I can be at home. Um, I don't have to be at the office. And then uh, the second lockdown, I was still like, oh, yeah, I actually, you know, I still get to kind of exercise, go for a walk, you know, like, do all those kind of things, be at home. Third mm-hmm. one was, I think it was the third one. Well, or the, the, you know, the one yeah, that just yeah, finished, the one yeah? that's just finished. Um, I've been much more <laughs> like, okay, this is on my head, like, this is still my head in. Um, so has it been like that all the way through? Have you just, like, lapped it up all the way through? Or? Nah, because I'm such an extrovert person and I've always been used to just being on the go, busy schedule, I was never at home. So the first lockdown it hit me, I was like, okay, I have to work that from home. I have to deal with living with my parents, living with my family. And, like, you have to adjust. Like, I have to say, okay, no one can't come into my room, don't make noise. Like, make sure, give them the FYI. Like, I'm at home, but I'm working. So, yeah, it, it, yeah, it, it really drove me nuts the first round. Um, and then the second round, yeah, we, we were fine. But it was just, yeah, I was having, which, again, we were still trying to adjust to it. We were trying to adjust to it, working around everybody's busy schedule. Um, and because my sister works at the um, at the lab that tests um, COVID and makes the vaccines, so she's a pathologist. So she ha- we had to learn not to, for her being restricted and limited to coming over. Um, they obviously she lived at home, so they obviously moved her out into an apartment block out near um, where she works, so across the road from Melbourne. So just in right there. So that was a strain on us as well because. Me and my sister are very close. So I was used to just going to the next room and then being like, you know, I need to vent, I need to talk to you about something, you know, after it, so doing my head in. Um, but I had no one to talk to. Um, and again, we weren't, and that was when, what, stage four hit was the third round, yeah? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so that was even, yeah, that really got me a bit crazy because, um, yeah, that was just, it was, I was over it. I wanted to be out. I guess. Um, but then I started to adjust and started yeah. reading, started healing, started facing a lot of things that um, I was using other stuff to distract myself with. 
um, in a normal life. So okay. it was actually pretty good. And then I decided, yeah, working out, doing a lot of fitness, got into a bit of boxing, sound therapy and that. Um, and that's why I look back at it. I'm like, nice. if it wasn't for this lockdown, I would not have realized so many things about my life. So do you want to share a little bit about, you know, who you are and where you're from? Okay. <laughs> so are we going back to the start? <laughs> well, so this, is an, so this is an interesting little segment because depending on who mm. I interview is depending on how how they take that right so i mean you 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 explain it as much as you feel you're comfortable to um but i guess one of the reasons why i ask that is in order to know where you, where we're kind of say going or where the conversation might lead to um i think it's really important um to understand context and i think that's one of the reasons one of the main drivers why i think we've kind of started this podcast anyway is because often you yeah. know you just see what you see but you don't. But there's a lot of untold mm. stories and context, and so I guess that, that question is just more so to tease out a little bit about your own context and situation. How did you come to where you are? Obviously, you're a youth worker, but there's a, probably a lot more yeah. to you than just okay, that side of life. In the beginning. <laughs> 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 All right. So let's. I was I was born and raised in the western suburbs, so Werribee Hospital, 1992. Yeah. That's me. Okay. Um, kind of, yes. Okay. Biggest baby in the Harry baby born in 1992, so I'm in the record book. Whopping 13 pounds, man. I was like, big baby. Mm-hmm. Wow. 13. Yeah. And we're still friends with, um, with the doctor that delivered me. We're, we still bump into each other. And he's he's yeah. still amazed when he looks at me. He's just like, you were the biggest baby I've ever delivered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you cop a lot of slack for that always and even like the old um od doctors that are, that are still there working at mercy they're just like wow mm. like you're a big baby and i'm like oh i get it mm. okay so have they got like have they got like the record books and you're there you're is a record the, book so if you look at each year um they always keep like a, i don't know whether they have it out now um, but I know there is a record book, I think. Okay. <laughs> and I'm I'm going to burn it soon. <laughs> <laughs> so you're born at um, Werribee? Yeah. Um, so you're born in the Western Suburbs. What, like, so where did you, like, where did you, did yeah. you grow up in the Western Suburbs? Did you go to school Pretty in the Western much, Suburbs? Yeah, I grew and... up, lived my life in the Western Suburbs. Um, my, so I grew up in Laverden. So basically that's where, that's where Point Cook was, so. That was a massive farm area, those ways. Trigonina wasn't even built yet, Tarnit, nothing. It was just all land. Um, and that's where my parents bought their first house um, out in Laverden, which is now called Pope Cook, that side. Um, so, yeah, born and raised out those ways. Always known the West, that's what I've known. Um, I just remember the, the massive farmland out in Wyndham, and my dad used to drive there on the weekends to get picked. So it's so funny how I look back at it. I'm like, that used to be a crazy drive to the farm to get pigs, to have a pig. And then I'm like, yeah, I go there sure. to get my nails done now. <laughs> like, it's so developed over the years, you know? <laughs> so the way I look back at it, I'm like, wow, yeah. I was, yeah, we legit lived there when it was farmland. And it was dirt cheap back in those days. Um, but before, before I was born, my parents um, stayed in Galville. So that was where all the government commission housing was. Uh, 
So when they came from from Melbourne, uh, from Sydney, um, they came through and lived at the um, Government Commission Houses area. So Tottenham, Yarraville, that's where the majority of the Tongan state. Um, and we grew up all there. Uh, my parents grew there and pretty much stayed in six families in one house. So they know the struggle um, of, of that. Um, and then, yeah, finally got their first house. Up, we were born. I was born in 1992. And yeah, the West is all we've known, um, to be honest, or I've known. So your your parents, so your, your family and your parents migrated from Tonga. When, so when, my mum came this? on a scholarship um, around the late 70s. So she came on a, on a Tongan scholarship okay. for uh, nursing. Um, that's where my migrated. My dad right. was migrated from Tonga to Sydney around early 1970s. Um, okay. So they, they know each other. So the Tongan community is really small. So they met in Sydney. Um, so a lot of yeah. the Tongan community used to travel back right. and forth from Melbourne and Sydney. It was kind of like, yeah, right. kind of like what they do, just travel back and forth. Um, obviously, the fruit pickers were yeah. out as well. So their um, cousins and stuff would be out in Robinvale or around Wollongong. So a lot of traveling was happening there to go visit family. Sure. Um, they met at a, we have these things called pula So it's like a social, um, where all the community come together, they have a good time, they drink and they listen to music. So they met at a social, pretty much. Okay, <laughs> so it's like an island, island Pretty, version yeah. of like so a bar. Yeah, so back in those days, room. they used to have social, um, where the community would come together, have a few yeah. drinks, um, listen to music, and then yeah, that's where a lot of um our parents yeah. would really look back at it or met at social. It was a normal thing. <laughs> 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 so have you have you explored the the current yeah, social vibe? Not really social that happen in, in the Tommy community that stopped. Everyone just goes to bars and pubs. Yeah. Um, I know the Samoans do it a lot, yeah. which is called Sivers. Um, and they have them at halls and they yeah. have live bands and stuff. So I've been to a few Sivers. Um, and my yeah. dad just says that's just how the socials were back in the day. Um, you wouldn't, yeah, they'll just get a hall right. and just. Yeah, rent like they'll just hire the hall out. Everyone puts money in, like whether it's ten bucks, two bucks, and yeah. that was their kind of Saturday, um, Saturday night for what they used to do. Which is so weird. I'm like, yeah. why would you put money in the hall? You wouldn't just go to a club and spend your money and get drinks. But it didn't work that way. Everyone put money mm. in just to have a good time for that one night. <laughs> <laughs> right. So in terms of um uh in terms of say when people ask you you know oh where are you from or those kind of things what what's your answer like what do you give because you know uh for some people especially when i ask them why okay i'll give a personal example if i go to new zealand i'm i'm the skip you know i'm the aussie and if i you know if i come here um most of the time um to our, to others especially more so new new people um i'm the kiwi i'm that you know i'm the moldy fellow or you know so, so like where do you sit in that continuum are you like do you see yourself as well a particular... yeah I, i've always said that i'm australian Tongan. i've always yeah i've never changed yeah, from okay. that yeah i've always just said i'm an australian Tongan background 
yeah. But you know, like growing up, my <laughs> sisters would say, oh, I'm Tongan. And then when they go to Tonga, they're like, oh, I'm Aussie. So I get that. But in the way yeah. I grew up, I've always yeah. said, um, yeah, I'm Australian Tongan. I think because in primary school, um, I had a sister, what was her name? Miss Holmes. Um, and she spoke a lot about that. Okay. Um, she spoke a lot about, this was in grade six. Oh, she spoke a lot about identity and where and how it's okay for you to say you're Australian Tongan. You don't have to say you're Tongan in some right. spaces or you're Australian in another, in another space. Like you can identify yourself as an Australian yeah. Tongan because you were born in Australia and your background Tongan. So she kind of made sense of that growing, like when I was in grade six. Um, and she, she was an awesome teacher. I don't know where, like, where if I've seen her around. I, I wish I could see her around. So, Miss Holmes, if you're listening, let's catch up for coffee. Because she, <laughs> yeah, she was, a, she was a different type of teacher. She always implemented the Aboriginal culture whether we really? yeah and it was amazing because really? i never knew so she would have a map out okay. and she'll say we're on this land you know and she'll teach us every morning yeah and that's where i learned how to do welcome to country was in grace um and every time each class so each class would have to run assembly on friday and her so every class yeah. that she kind of took care of would have would always open up with welcome to country um, and that's when I started learning it. And that's when I started learning that I, it was okay for me to say that I'm Australian. So she, that's like before Pretty Welcome much. to Country was almost so a thing. I knew, I knew what Welcome right? to Country so, was in grade six, um, which was a lot of years ago, which was weird. Yeah. And now I think about it, I'm like, whoa, the importance so, of that. Yeah. So I remember going to like primary school and there was no welcome to country. It was like I think it was like what Monday morning was the mm-hmm. was the yeah. national anthem and the school bell. I mean, I didn't go to high school, so I don't know what high school was like. But um, yeah, that's what it was like. So I I don't even know. It's probably not until more recently, in terms of like the last probably yeah eight to ten years, maybe probably like probably eight years. That I've I've seen like an acknowledgement mm-hmm. of country to be a thing, where where it's like okay if you don't do an acknowledgement of country then it's yeah. like poor form. Um, but so she was she sounds like she was way ahead of her time, and especially the concept of just being like oh we, yeah you don't was, have to be one or the really, other. She played a really That's big also, part in terms of how I would identify myself to other people. So she was awesome. Um, I've been trying to find her for ages mm. now just to kind of go back and go, thank you, because I would not know um, any of you. But, yeah, she taught us how to do Welcome to Country. Um, we learned about the Rwanduru area because we I went to school out in our so she taught us about that, uh, the story about the Yarra River. Mm. Um, and she wasn't even Indigenous. She wasn't even Aboriginal. So it was very um, awesome mm. to actually have her in grade six and learn about that stuff. Well, do you know, what, like, where she was she's from Italian. in terms of what background? Yeah. So yeah, it, wow. yeah, she, um, wow. yeah. The way I think about it now, like, it just reminded me, I'm like, yeah, Miss Holmes, she's actually, now that I think about it, she was the one who really taught me about it. When you ask that question, I'm like, Oof. 
Yeah, well, I mean, that's why that for that specific reason, that's why I like doing these podcasts. Is because those kind of little, um, you know, when you're having the conversation conversation with people, and then you hear about mm. oh, there's actually this lady that was actually doing all of this stuff way yeah. before, and no one talks about it. Like, exactly. You know, <laughs> now it's a thing, but she was doing this way before. It'd be interesting to, um, yeah. That's why I'm like thinking about, about it now. I'm like, oh, I'll probably try and I'll probably try and find it on Facebook or something. Yeah. Well, I tell you what. If you ever if you ever find her on Facebook, oh let's, I'll facilitate the conversation. Yeah. And we'll both on. Oh, that yeah. would be awesome. Definitely. <laughs> Uh, I just want to ask firstly, have you got siblings? Yeah, How many I've siblings got... do you have? Because siblings <laughs> dictate a lot of experience. Yeah, so I've got three older brothers um, and three sisters. Um, in my, yeah, that's my um, full-blooded siblings. And then, but in the, in the Tongan custom, it's a, it's a tradition or it's, it's a normal thing for to be adopted. Your aunties, your uncles. To be raised for them, it's a, it's a normal thing. So, I was adopted to my auntie, and she has two boys, um, and I was the only girl, uh, youngest and the only girl. Um, so yeah, so just being um, raised by my auntie, yeah, and then knowing at the age of eleven that I had small siblings, and my auntie, who I thought was my auntie, is my mum. <laughs> 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 and so, like, has that changed your relationship with with your mum? Oh, you think, like, what, what's it? Yeah, it is what it is. I've two yeah. mums. Just cop, you know, accept yeah. it, love it. You're blessed. You know, you've got you've got heaps of mother figures. But it's, I think, with my family because we're so close. Our aunties and our uncles treat us as their own anyway. And so we've grown up with, with all our first cousins just treating each other as brother and sister, and it's kind of adapted to now. Um, and it's so funny because we have, so my oldest sister, our first cousins, like she has a group of first cousins, then it's me and then I have a group of first cousins and then it goes again. So it's weird. I don't like to think about it, but it's like my auntie and uncle kind of plan to have kids at the same year. <laughs> if that makes sense. Because <laughs> we all have our own, so I have first cousins, but I have first cousins and we're all born on the same year. Like we're all close, and we all grew up with, with each other, so that's kind of like our brother and sister bond. Um, and now we're growing up, and some of them are married, they've got kids, you know. And it kind of continues because the next gen, it's exactly the same thing happening. Like they're having kids at the same year, so I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so, um, high school. Um, I thought the game changer, like? I would say, because right. you're coming out yeah. of primary school with innocent minds, you know, not knowing everything and then boom, you're in high school. So I went to Bayside Secondary College out in Atona North and majority of the cultures that attended that school were um, Polynesian um, and Arabic. So we had a lot of Lebanese. Um, Lebanese and Polynesian, um, yeah, kids there, majority of it. Um, and they taught, which the good thing is, is that they, because the majority of them were Arabic, they, had, 
birthdays for Arabic language. We celebrated Eid. A lot, a lot of Muslims, wow. we celebrated Eid with them. They had a prayer room. So I knew about that as well. I knew about the, the Muslim culture, okay. their religion, and knew about the Lebanese culture as well because every time we celebrated Foundation Day, which was our high school day, we were all able to bring our cultures to the ground. Mm. So, so it was really awesome because the Lebanese had their drums and then we had the Cook Island girls doing the hulas. Um So it was a very mm. multicultural high school, really good. Um, I attended that with all my cousins, <laughs> the same year cousins. So we all attended that school. We had Papa mm. um, Hafa. So that was a mandatory thing for us to attend. Um, yeah, we learned a few songs really? and stuff. It was it was a good school, good high school. So we had um uh, every third period, every second week. So that was a that was a subject for us. Um, pretty much we just yeah attended that, learned that, and yeah, we all had our little cultural groups that we had. So actually coming into the youth work sector and doing this type of work, I learned from when the Papa Hafiz used to come into our school and we had to perform. <laughs> So you, this is yeah. this is really fascinating, right? So um, completely mm. different to my experience. So completely different. So <laughs> like when I say completely different, I mean like the primary school that I went to had like one like uh, Filipino kid who was probably mm. the darkest in Sunbury in terms of skin colour. And then... I remember having there was two other uh, uh, two other students in the school that were of Maori descent, and that was it. And we didn't like no one. You know, we didn't we didn't participate in anything. You went to school in Sunbury. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did go, and so. <laughs> like and even now, like I hear, hear some of my sister's experience, and you know, because I've got two, uh, two, well, I've got three, but I've got two younger ones, and um, that are still in school, and um, the exposure and stuff that they get to what to what we got was nothing. So, like my, I remember my mum taking us down to yeah. Sydney Road in Brunswick, um, and we went into one of the um, main bakeries. I'm trying to remember what it was called. It's still there, actually. And they were yeah. playing. It's a Lebanese bakery, and they, and they were playing um, uh, like a, a Lebanese tune. I don't ask me what it was. And I remember, like, that was not the experiences that I grew up with. So I walked in there. Oh well, we were down that yeah. place, and I was like, you know, because we I grew up in church, and it was yeah. very ang- like very Anglo. We would go back to New Zealand. Um, and that was like, oh, that was the cultural time. <laughs> you know, like we would go back and see like all the family um, and that was like, oh, yeah, that's like, that's our like exposure to cultural time is through. And yeah. like, you know, and so um, so we just didn't all, you know, I'd, we'd never really ventured out of somebody, not until I yeah. think it was like 18. Um, so completely vastly mm. different experience, vastly different. So when, cause I, my assumption a lot of the time is, and I know like obviously we, both of us do a lot of work in schools, but my assumption a lot of the time is that yeah. schools don't really do that. 
Well, but schools have changed, obviously, a lot. Yeah, I know. But, you know, the funny thing is, is that the only way, the only way we have to, why we um, have to do kapaka is if we're in trouble. Does that kind of make sense? So me and my cousins, like, really? we heard about it. And everyone was like, oh, my God, we're doing this, like, um, yeah. cultural thing, like, you need to join. So I'll go to the wellbeing team, and I'm like, hey, mm. how do I do to get in there? They're like, oh, um, you're not on the list. And then the way we found out is if we were to muck up in school and then you were able to attend. Uh-huh. So we would just muck, muck around like, we're like, okay, let's go rag one class, get busted, just so we can attend. So we'll just to get in, like a, so you could get into a class. Like, it was like the prerequisite. Like a, <laughs> that's why I see now, like the, the way I look at it now, they only put you in there as, as a, like a, if you're in trouble, and you need some sort of help, they'll put you back into your yeah. culture to learn a few things. You know what I mean? But it wasn't like a... So we had oh. to play up in school just to get into okay. those classes. It's weird, like, the way I think about it now, I'm like, I have to wag just to go into a classes and learn how to sing. Like, I'm just sitting there like, okay, this is... I get how it is. But, yeah, that was that was high school. Um, but that, that program only went for two years. So it didn't really last. Um, and yeah, there was a lot of, a lot of, um, we still, I still face the whole, um, the pushing towards VCAL rather than VCE. Um, majority of us got pulled into VCAL. Um, but my mum kind of fought and said, no, my daughter needs to go into VCE. She needs to go to university. But pressure was on for me in school. Um, so out of all my cousins um, and my, you know, Pacifica Māori crew, um, it was probably out of 20 of us, only three finished year 12. Um, and the rest wow. dropped down to 11. Mm, so in that wow. sense, the school system still hasn't changed much in terms of, you know, encouragement to push mm. towards VCE. Um, so, I, yeah. I remember getting, um, when it came to selection, I remember getting told to do these tasks because it's more easier and it's more flexible. Well, you know, like we do, we do a lot of mm-hmm. work in the, in, the, in the schools and, you know, especially when you, when you talk to the younger ones and you say, oh, what are you going to, you know, what hopes, aspirations, mm-hmm. desires do you have after school? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and they go, <laughs> one of three, like probably one of three things. I, I guess it would be one, warehousing, like a pickpacking job. I mean, that's mostly for the boys or a forklift driving. It's like, oh, yeah, I'll just get a job in one of those three. That's like, mm. so when you have to actually, <laughs> when you go, think outside the box, right? Like, you, like yeah. there's so much you can actually do. Oh, and they've been, like, just the environment that they've been in and amongst from school has yeah. set up how they think about yeah. after school. Um, and so then you have to kind of go back to re, re, rewiring it. So so you finished, you would have, like, so you finished school and you finished VCE, yes. I'm kidding. Um, would it, <laughs> well, it's funny because I, like, I have the opposite experience. Yeah. I'm, I left school. I didn't, I was homeschooled for, like, two years and then I, I left school uh, <laughs> left, left homeschool, yes. homeschool. 
So you you finished high school. What so, are you going to do after that? You know, in in the Tongan, in the traditional Tongan home, they expect you to either be in business, medicine, or law. That's the option for a woman. Yeah. Um, so I chose to do business. I was like, oh, I, I'm not really good at medicine, like okay. no, and law. I don't think so. Um, so I chose to go into business. So I did yeah. a, a degree in public relations, so that marketing and all that jazz, because I was influenced about, you know, I was influenced with that life of watching Laguna Beach, OC. I wanted to live that life. <laughs> I just generally, I hated my <laughs> culture. I just hated being Tongan. So in my teen years, I just hated really? being, being Tongan. I hated everything about it. I drifted away from culture. The only time I I, huh. I I had to be amongst cultures when I was at home. But when I was not at home, I would celebrate every other culture except for mine. I would appreciate everybody else's, not mine. And was there a particular like was there a, I just a particular reason for that? I I think I just hated the the amount of expectations that were given to me at home. Um, I hated the roles you have to play. Um, just to play with the, uh, coming from a traditional home and learning so much about culture and going out to the Western world and being told you can do whatever you want to do and being independent, if that kind yeah. of makes sense. So really played with me um, to the point where I just started playing two different yeah. people. Funny that though you you hated being, like you hated the, the cultural mm-hmm. ethnicity side of you and not just the yeah. dynamics of the family. Yeah. You know, like so, um, and, and like I, I, like I, I get it, but you know, if if you were if you were Anglo, or if you were, you would talk, you wouldn't necessarily talk about. I don't like my mm. Tongan family. Yeah, you know, the Tongan thing wouldn't be a thing. It would just be yeah. I don't like the dynamics of my family. Um, but this was a significant. Not, what do you think that is? Like the way I think about it now, I'm just like, why did I drift away from culture? Why did I hate it? It was also probably the environment I was put in in my teen years. Um, and during that stage, yeah. there was a lot of discrimination against specific Maori um, kids, you know. Okay. Um, I just, yeah, I think the, the discrimination played, the stereotyping played. Um, so this is me growing up yeah. in the late night. Uh, yeah. So early 2000s so that's when a lot of the that's when like you know Jonathan Tonga was coming out like um it was just a lot of exposure especially towards Tongans was coming out social media was like you know Bebo was coming out MySpace so everything was coming to like everything that we lived indoors people were bringing it out and putting them as me so and I would cop a lot of black from that, especially um, when I was the only kind of Tongan you felt. Everybody would be like, oh, but, you know, you're Tongan. So, and they'll show me a video of a Tongan person doing something stupid. And then they'll judge me upon that. They're like, well, at home, do you really do this? So a lot of questions were coming out and it was made me kind of question myself in terms of, wow, so what I've learned at home is not actually proper in the Western world. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I started to play yeah. on that, like, yeah. wow, what, you know, the things that my mum is teaching me, is that really, like, it's not making sense to me that I'm now that I'm getting questioned at school. So mm. a lot of the students were questioning, mm. um, why do we do this? Why do we do that? You know, when you do that, that's bad. 
you know, you can't eat that because that's wrong. So yeah. I was getting told yeah. what I've known all my life that it's all wrong. You kind of get where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. So I always, I always played, I was playing a lot. Mentally. Yeah, too, because like everything around food, right? Yeah. Like, like culture and everything around food is like no carbs. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, no carbs, eat yeah. your fruit and veg and, and all these kind of, and yet like <laughs> that's what yeah. we lived off. Noodles. You know? Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, um, and I think too, you know, a lot of minority minority communities experience the fact that, um, you know, like you you're not starting on equal playing terms as everyone yeah. else is, right? So you don't, so you don't, the educational side of things, you don't know mm. some of these things, and it's and so. But it, but I think the the sad part about it is that it's you then looked or yeah, found upon, right? Much. So instead of just kind of being like, um, you know, you're a new migrant and or you know, and you've been in Australia or feel you know like us, or you've been born in Australia but with migrant mm-hmm. parents, um, then then there's a whole heap of these things that you've kind of got to yeah. filter. And then and and it's very vastly different. So very vastly different from your parents' mm-hmm. generation. You know, like I remember dad just hammering me about, um, you, know, you must finish your apprenticeship. You must finish your apprenticeship. And I was just like, I'm so not happy. There was a range of personal yeah. things going on. I just and I gave it up. But just those kind of like mm-hmm. you know heated elements um, because of. Uh, you know, because of the depressions and stuff that they face also. So, yeah, yeah totally. So, um, so I had to make a choice. It's either drop my culture and become westernized or play into yeah. stereotypes. And a lot of um, my friends and, and my, the year level above me played into the stereotypes. You know, they, they played into being dumb. They played into being lazy. They played into... Um, all the stuff that was expected from Polynesians to drop out, go to factory. Yeah. And I chose this, like, no, I'm going to go Western. So I went into a full 360 identity crisis lock yeah. and just became yeah. this one of the Anglo person. But every time I looked in the mirror, I was brown. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. yeah. And yeah. fully did a 180 and oh, 360 and just changed my whole persona when I was in school. Um, and just drifted away from anything that reminded me of being a Polynesian. Um, mm. yeah. And so, how much of this would you have even been conscious of? Like, I think this is a really important mm. aspect, right? So, we see, like, and it's easy for us to sit back and reflect yeah. on this stuff, right? So, we, we, we get to talk about have it a laugh and have a laugh and, and just and, pack up. You know, show yeah. about it, right? But the reality is, is that in a lot of the work that we're doing now, and we're seeing all these dynamics kind mm-hmm. of playing out. I actually look and I wonder, I'm like, hey, I don't even think half the time that, you know, because you don't know what you don't mm. know. And so you're not necessarily that consciously aware. Or, or yeah. were you? Well, that's the thing. I, I, I wasn't aware of what I was doing. Like I just had this mm. one focus was I'm not Tongan. I don't want to be Tongan. Everybody mm. that, that I just want everybody to not think of me as a comment because I don't want to answer any of those questions because it made me feel uncomfortable. 
So that was that was me. Like I didn't want to um, answer any more questions because that really just made me mentally confused and played with a lot of my identity. Like I didn't know. So, so a lot of this is also not necessarily based off people saying anything directly to you. Yeah. Like about like we don't like the fact that you're Tonga. Like there wasn't that kind of overt yeah. thing. Is that yeah. would that be right? So this so this is all just unspoken, unspoken things. It was just like I I really looked at my parents and was like, why would you teach me these things knowing that I'm going to try to like go out in the world and start again. Trying to mm. find out why I do certain things or why is this okay? Or even question myself, you know, in the Tongan culture, like um, uh, giving money, like, you know, giving money as presents. Like, you know, people in the Western world, like my, my you know, my Anglo friends don't do that. They don't give money to family to yeah. help out for wedding. Why should I? So I'd always question it and challenge my parents, which caused a lot right. of issues at home. So um, in our family, if there's like a wedding or something, we all have roles to play. We all give out some money. Mm. If there's a money or we're doing the map or we're doing the, the inside of the ass of the stuff, you know, we save up to get ready for that for that event. We all put hands in. I would be the one that would sit there and challenge the whole family. Right? Like I'll sit right. there. So, so this is a bit of your own personality <laughs> coming out now. <laughs> I, yeah, I was <laughs> for real. And I kid you not, the looks that my parents would give to me would be like, they'll give me the biggest look and be like, you are just disgusting us right now. In front of everyone. It's not just my family, it's yeah. my, you know, my mum's sisters, my dad's brothers, and we're all sitting there having a meeting. And you see yeah. this little girl, who's not even the oldest girl, stand there and be like, mm. why do I have to give money to you? Why am I working and giving money to someone else? That money should be for me. That's what I learned. And that's what, how I'm going to live my life. Mm. And, and and then that creates up like a significant divide because then other people are like are you going to question another cultural dynamic mm-hmm. that's going to play out because that's yeah. what it is right so it is, it's it's cultural ways of seeing doing yeah. that that you kind of do and it's funny because I, I was never taught to question. Yeah, no. Like, I was always taught to shut yeah, up. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. So I was, never I was never taught to kind of question things and to kind of go, hang on a second. Why are you doing those things mm-hmm. that you're doing? Or what? Like, I want to understand a, a broader perspective on this. I don't want to just be told, oh, well, that's just who yeah. they are. Like, that to me was just like, I'm like, oh well, if that's just who they are, then why can't I just who be I just who mm-hmm. I am? Um, and if I'm going to be just who I am, then why do you have such yeah. a problem with that? You know, like, why do you have a problem with? And so that was just so the the you know the cultural unspoken narratives around some of these things are so kind of um, so kind of complex. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's what you're talking yeah. to, right? Eh? And it, it does play a role. We're told not to not to express our emotions or not to speak out about certain things or not even to ask simple questions. Hence why when people yeah. ask me questions about why I do what I do in terms of culture, I couldn't answer because I didn't know. It was all I knew growing yeah. up. But then when I was challenged about it, I didn't know what to say, which put me back in thinking mm. like, okay, why would my parents teach me this when knowing it's not normal or 
knowing mm. that I was going to face this. But it's, again, it's not my parents' fault because they were taught to be quiet as well. They were told to just mm. teach your kids one thing and that's it. You don't have to explain nothing. They need to understand why we do what we do. So it's kind of mm. like a like a repeating type of cycle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the little oh my head. I'm just I'm going back through all these different like It's a lot of stuff of question here. Yeah. Like, okay, so I understand why I go yeah. through these different things because it's all I know. And I've never mm. had that chance to ask questions. But I think that's why I grew a backbone and now I challenge and ask these questions why. Because when someone asks me about what my culture is, I'll have an answer. It's like about standing yeah. firm in certain spaces, yeah. So, so, so let's talk about that, right? So, how did you come? How, how, how do you, how do you, how do you reconcile those experiences? Because I think that's a really pivotal question that not necessarily a lot of young people. Yeah. Well, you don't really ask. I don't think. Like, I think maybe you might ask them. Maybe you might have these thoughts. But unless you're in a safe environment to nut those things out and you have the people around you to be able to converse <laughs> with, um, that aren't going to necessarily be judgmental but might be cur- more curious to your experience. Yeah. How, so how do you go about that? Well, it started from home. I think the, the most challenging people to speak to in my life was my parents. They're very traditional. Yeah. They're very straightforward one way. It's either my way or the highway. That's it. Um, sure. And once I was able to create an open dialogue and an open dialogue with them, I was able to adapt it to anyone that I came across life. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, li- I literally just kind of sat down and I said, we just need to talk about what's going on. Um, and I was probably 19. So 19 was the first time okay. I actually opened up to my parents about everything, what I was struggling with why I needed help, why I kept challenging them into spaces. Um, and I kind of just wow. I kind of just took the lead on it. And I said, I I need to tell you what's going on in my mind. Um, I cannot hold this wow. any longer because I don't want you guys to find out if it's too late. You know what I mean? If I will be in the hospital, you, you guys will understand where I'll be. So it was basically yeah. protecting my own safety as well by telling the only two that loved me unconditionally on, on this world, right? So you're saying you pretty much got to a breaking point where you had no real other options than you, the two closest people to you or the two. Yeah. You just kind of like, okay, we need to have this talk because, well, I need to yeah. have this talk. And it, it pretty much just said we didn't have this talk. I told them about my environment and what environment I was interacting with for them to truly understand yeah. why I was feeling some type of way. Um, my dad took it as in, like, what are you doing? Like, you know, toughen up. Like, why are you thinking like yeah. this? This is not normal. Um, you need to act up. I didn't raise a daughter like this. You know, you you're not yeah. this. You're not this weak person. Whereas my mom played the nurturing person, and she was very like, I understand. I don't know how what help is out there for you, but what I can do is rearrange the way we we talk about stuff inside the home. If you were to ask questions, I'm happy to answer. If I don't know the answer, I will try and find you an answer. So it took, yeah. it took a while for my dad to come around, but my mum actually just kind of, she takes the nurturing um, role into it. <laughs> <There's nothing. laughs> Is that, do you think the reasons why your mum and dad played those roles so differently, mm-hmm. right? Do you, think the, do you think that's based down to personality? 
Or do you think that, I mean, I don't ever think it, that it's one or the other, but do you think that some of those tyres pull strongly? Like, for example, um, it might be, like I hear, and I'm making very broad assumption mm-hmm. right now, but um, uh, males from um, from our Pacifica backgrounds really struggle mm-hmm. with this, right? Like yeah. really struggle with that. Unless you're our age and you've done that work on yourself or you're probably younger and have grown up in Australia where, you know, it's jammed yeah. into you. On 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 social media, on on every media outlet mm-hmm. in schools, it's okay to cry. It's all it's okay yeah, to show your emotions. Exactly. These things that we 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 didn't do beforehand. Was was that uh, your parents' personalities that just played out, or do you think that that was a cultural thing? I, I honestly feel it's a cultural thing. A lot of our okay. Hongan men are very one way minded. Um, okay. so, and it was, it takes time for them to kind of expand their, their mindsets around certain things like that. But they, yeah. yeah, they always grow up with this hard interior that nothing can harm any like us. Like they would raise us to be yeah. like soldiers and we have to be like that. And there's, yeah, there's no such mm. thing as being emotional, especially if you're a target man. If you are, that's a sign of weakness in the story. So I think, yeah, and my dad's a manly man. Like, he is very okay. um, straightforward. Like, he, yeah, he raised us to be so strong women. It's not funny. Like, mm. it's not funny. Well, he's done a pretty good job of that. <laughs> oh, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, oh, see, I can't. I don't have no emotion in me because of you. I take after you. I am my father's daughter. But it literally took him a while um, for me uh, for him to come around. Uh, I think because it was an emotional, it was an emotional thing that was coming over him and it was mentally draining. He couldn't physically bash someone. If that makes sense, like he couldn't physically bash someone for doing that to me. It was something that he was just like, what do you mean? Like, just snuck out of it. Like, go to sleep, have a sleep, have a rest, go eat. Like, you know? Like he, I think mm. for him, he was just like, he physically wanted to hit someone for doing it. Because his first reaction was, who made you feel like that? Was it a boy? And I'm like, no. Mm. It's just, I don't know what it is. I need your help. <laughs> <laughs> I, and, okay, so like, I guess in some ways what's happening is that, and I think this is a really interesting topic in terms of um, how people, the, the different integration mm. rates, right? Within families, so you've clearly got two two into different integration rates going yeah, on here. One of yourself having this experience, and then your dad having grown up in this other point where you like, was like, "This is what you do. This is how you mm-hmm. do it. This is this is what being a man is," and a, and a strong fatherly figure. And then after he learns all of that, he's now placed in Australia where where that just is completely mm-hmm. conflictual. So. To smack your kid on the bum is like yeah, you're, not good. You're, you're doing your yeah, you know, you're not doing. To, let alone giving someone a hiding and teaching them yeah. a lesson, like that's, um, you know, like very different contexts. And so your dad's also having to kind of do that work and integrate. Yeah, 
but they do it very, very differently. Eh? So it took me a while, like it took me a while to kind of not study. Actually, yeah, study. Like before I approached that situation, I studied both of my parents. Like, how would they react? Do I really know him? Like, you know what I mean? Like, how would my dad act if I was to tell him this? So, during the process of things, I'd do little hints. Just to see, like, you know, little little hints here and there, just to see what their reaction is, really, how are they? Because, I don't know, my parents never showed me their, they never, I never knew who they were. I knew them as parents. Yeah. And we always, uh, yeah. They always had a set boundaries that your kids cannot be like your friends. You are their mother. You respect them as a mother. That's your dad. You respect them as your yeah. dad. It is what it is. That's it. There's no such thing as um, affectionate, like being affectionate to your dad and being like, oh, I love you, dad. You, know, you don't do that. I don't even call my dad dad. I call him by his first name. And I still do. So it's, those boundaries are set and we grew up with having those boundaries. So it was really hard for me to actually know what my dad how my dad would react so I, to, I studied them both of them for the past three weeks before i approached the situation <laughs> yeah, <wow. laughs> i know but now we're best friends we're very open with each other um me and my dad have the best bond there's nothing that can replace them mm. like we've uh, we've allowed yeah. both of us to openly speak um and, and respect each other on that level Okay, so you finished mm-hmm. school, you, you study mm-hmm. business, um, you're a youth worker now. <laughs> where did it, it all change? That was so when, I, when I was starting business, I did an internship for a you know, fashion label, um, and I faced a lot of stereotype discrimination, a lot of workplace bullying. You did not understand. That was when it wasn't really much of a movement, workplace, you know, workplace bully, discrimination, all that. Okay. But in, it's not one thing that you can talk about. Well, in that man. industry, in the fashion industry, like if you're not, if you have, you're, you're, you're PR, right? So you become a brand ambassador. So how you dress and how you are, you have to get that spread, right? So, you know, I'm in this, I'm in this um, fashion label and their brand is your typical Anglo blonde woman, blue eyes, you know, and, um, yeah, type of, type of vibe. Size two, you know, and I was not, that was totally opposite. But I felt a lot of workplace bullying because they would, um, make me do all the background work, but I was never out, out in front to experience um, all the yeah. great stuff, you know, like I was, I was to say like, like, the no, like at the front, you know, you're <laughs> ushering people, like, yeah. but I was doing all the background work. I was packing the dishwashers and stuff. I was doing all the designs in the background, but I was never, the other girls were acknowledged more than I was. And I, I yeah, sensed sure. that. I was like, oh, you know. And I think that's when I kind of got a wake-up call. was like, you know, you have to be in spaces where they accept you as well. You can't just keep yeah. working for their approval or working for them to accept yeah. you why. Just, you know you're, you're, you're good at your job. You know you can go somewhere else. And I just had a, like a, yeah, like a thought about it. And I was like, oh, mate, I'm not going to do this. So I left. And I knew that business marketing was not my forte. Um, so, yeah, then I dropped out of that. And two years living on Centrelink. Shout out to Centrelink. You said now in. I was doing it rightfully because I was actually looking for jobs. Um, and then, like, I just got so 
unmotivated. It was probably one of the lowest points in, in my life during those years. Um, and my mum was pushing me every day to just get up, find a job, do something. If you're not going to find a job, go and clean. If you're not going to clean, go and do something. Do something useful for your life. Um, so, yeah, I was just, yeah, very depressed, just in bed, didn't know what to do. Um, and then my auntie, who is a common artist, and she, she, so she started doing partnerships with Calcul way before, um, like when I was in high school. So she would always partner up with Calcul doing art projects and doing cultural stuff. And she was like, um, you know, come over. I'm working at Broom Bank at the BBK Hub. Come help me out. And I was like, all right, cool. So when I helped out, made these massive common puppets, like big as your house, massive. And we had to construct them from inside. <laughs> and they were cool. <laughs> and it was a puppet show called Gods of the Underworld. So the, the spiritual gods that the Tongans used to worship before Christianity took place. And tell stories. Right. And so we're bringing <clears throat> taboo stories to life and telling our community these were the answers before God, Jesus, you know, every other religion that came into time. So that was pretty cool. We did a really good research on that. We went to, you know, physical museums, spoke to a lot of um, PhDs who studied it. Like, so we were, we were really on to it, trying to um, bring these stories to life. And then, yeah, just kind of, as she had to do it with young people. So I was working, I was helping her work it was like a six-week project and she was she had a lot of young people working so I was listening to their stories we were kind of vibing so they were kind of motivating me every day to get up because my stories yeah. that I used to tell them about me growing up actually I saw a lot of myself in them if that makes sense like they would tell me about you know what's going on with their parents and how you know they don't they're forced to come here because their parents force them and they don't know anything about common culture they don't like common culture i saw bits and pieces of myself in, in them and i was like wow okay i think we need to stop this cycle from happening um and then i just yeah i met some awesome people networked started my first um program um for yeah one of the local areas local government areas mm. and then i did that volunteering for, for a year and then they contacted me. Yeah, contacted me, and then I became a casual. And then, yeah, haven't studied youth but I've been in the field for about six years now. Yeah, right. So you no. haven't studied it. No, I know, right? I've got little certificates here and there, um, but that was through yep. work and through like personal development and stuff. But I haven't studied youth work. I didn't end. So let me, let me ask you this question, right? So you, you, um, you didn't like being no. Tongan. You kind of, you kind of gave that right the flick. And now you're in a job, specifically named, yeah. <laughs> um, because you're Tongan. Yes. So it's funny because as much as you want to run away from culture and who you are and your traditions, it will always come back to get you. And that's what I always tell everybody. You cannot run away from your culture. Because <laughs> you end up going back to it and you end up loving it and implementing it into everyday life. So, because so much of it is actually, like I, I think sometimes when we have these discussions, we, all, we always talk about them as being separate mm -hmm. entities. Yeah. 
or separate sections to us, mm -hmm. right? And instead, they're not separate to us. They are yeah. us, right? So it's 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 not a thing, you know, like culture's not yeah, a thing that you can run yeah. away from, right? It's just like who you are, what you mm -hmm. do, right? And sometimes you live out of some of these um, histories or narratives that you that you have experienced yeah. growing up, which is you know, um, and then other times, you know, you choose those narratives and you choose those things to kind yeah. of live out. So now you're, I guess, you're making those mm -hmm. choices as opposed to just kind of going through those spaces. Yeah. Do 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 you ever sit in that conflict now? Um, and, and I guess when I say that conflict, I mean where you struggle uh, with whether you ever have periods of time where you whether you struggle with those um, whether you struggle with being Tongan, right? Because you hated you didn't like being Tongan yeah. at one point. <laughs> then you came back and Tongan was actually a good thing because and and, you, and it gave you employment. Yeah. Um, then you got to talk to people that were similar. And, you know, minded and, and get mm -hmm. to work with their own, which I think is like amazing. I think it's a great, great, mm -hmm. great thing. Um, but you know, that would also provoke certain, you know, triggers. Or, or I'm only assuming um, because in my own experience, you know, there's some things where I'm like, oh, I remember what that mm -hmm. was like. You know, sometimes you you're so used to working with someone else that you become a little bit desensitized to your own story or your own experience or you think, oh, you know, you kind of forget mm -hmm. because, you, because you're in a, a, another contained cultural yeah. element, I guess. So how do you manage it now? Well, that's the funny thing. I've kind of just, I don't know, it just kind of flows now. Like I don't have any issues okay. of having to put you on different hats. Like I'm... I think the more it is in my day, the more that I've actually discovered who I am internally. Yeah. I'm okay with them. Like I can sit in spaces and be Tongan and tell them about my culture and be okay with that. Like and not having to second guess, oh wait, I smell it back. You know, kind of thing or mm. wait, oh, I don't know if it's appropriate to say it. Like that's why I would say if you ask me a question, I'll be truly honest. Like um, okay. But yeah, I don't know. A lot of the young people ask me, how was I able to merge the two? And I said, well, first off, off is you accepting the fact that you are, you know, Australian Hongan. Yeah. Like, and they're just like, yeah, but I've accepted it. Like, it's a process to accept Like, you have to be yourself in every single space so that you're comfortable to talk about your culture in every single aspect. Like, if you're standing in front of the school environment and they ask you, Say it sensibly, Tongan. Would you do it without laughing or second guessing yourself? You know, if, if you get mm. put on the spot about your culture, would you lie about it or would you say, or would you say, oh, I don't know, pass it on to the next person, but when you definitely you do know, but you just don't want to say. So, sure. yeah, I tell, I, I tell a lot of young people, like, it's the process of accepting that, the fact that, yes, you are Tongan and you're happy with that. So you're talking about the process of accepting all mm -hmm. of you, um, both the the good and the and the mm -hmm. challenges, and and not just 
putting on a, a facade yeah. uh, for a period for a period of time because I think putting on a facade and that's not it's not a straight like that's not isolating to one one culture being Tongan like, every culture <laughs> right. so many cultures yeah. do, do that like you know you would have heard the like the African community do, like you know putting on a facade the Maori community but the the you know even on my mum's side that's still yeah. a thing like in, in a in a white Anglo to put on a facade to kind of go no it's not a it's not mm. an issue you know we all kind of do it it's, I think it's probably a little bit more of a human trait um, um, okay. okay so that's your work right so you so you're now working in that space and you've been doing that for how long about six years in the community okay. so yeah. um, you would so you've been doing some work and you've and you've kind of you've gone into that space so organically mm. and then you get um here's my knowledge of you uh <laughs> coming right. out. and then you get acknowledged um with a uh now correct me if i'm wrong with the victorian multicultural um young youth yeah, worker, youth worker, yeah. um, um yeah how does that come about? Like, how does that come man. about? Because that's, that's in the whole of yeah, the state. Yeah, uh, man, that was weird because I didn't I didn't know anything in terms of nomination. I didn't know what the MC was. I did not know the youth award. I didn't know how important it was. Like, I honestly didn't know until I received an email and said, um, you know, the community has nominated you for this youth award um, and okay. that you're in the running. Um, you're in the top three. So I was like, what is this? Like, who's nominated? And I, and I was like, trying to investigate who nominated me. Where did this nomination come from? Why am I getting this award? I don't even know what it is. So I started looking into yeah. it. And I'm like, oh my God, what's going on? And then I kept looking. And then when I received the, the next, so the next, the following two weeks, they said, I've actually won the award and that I've been invited as a guest and can invite two people to go to, is it the governor's house? Yeah. Um, which okay. was really, uh, yeah, very top class. Yeah. Um, yeah. To basically receive my award, and I'm like, oh my gosh! And I did it, and then I kind of, I go, well, who nominated me? Like, I emailed her back, and I go, please tell me who my nomination, who nominated me. Um, and it has to be a beautiful woman from PhD, CBN, uh, Leela, and she nominated me because the community had asked her to write a nomination. Um, and to write up the work that I've done. I honestly did not know. I was like, whoa, like how, like, yeah, I, don't, I was just filled with so much, um, with thank, I was just really thankful. I was like, I don't deserve this. Like, yeah. This is my work. This is, I, my work is to serve us. Like, to serve you, like, people, serve you. Yeah. I didn't expect any type of acknowledgement. It's not my thing. Um, and then when, yeah, got the award, <laughs> when I, yeah, so I got the award and then they were like saying that you, you're pretty much the first visitor, modern um, visitor to represent and actually win an award out of all categories. Um, so ever since then, I've just been like the VMC, you need to keep our people. We will win these awards regardless. Like I always yeah. tell them, I'm like, VMC, there's this person, like we need to get it. And I'm like, this was a door opening to a lot of our community to get in there and receive these awards because there's so much great work that's happened. But I yeah, honestly didn't know. When I received it, I think it was my dad. I took my dad 
Um, and he was he proudest moment, like he stood and he's like, "Oh wow, look at this!" Like, and it was crazy. Like the government's house looked, oh, it was like a palace. Yeah, yeah, it, it was really official. We had to stand when the governor came in. with like all this high top stuff. Like I'm like I'm a West Side girl coming into the government's house. Like who does that? <laughs> Gets treated by the governor. Gets taken pictures of high-profile people. I'm a West. I'm a West. West side. Governor's like, no qualifications. At the governor's house with my dad. With my dad. That's how we do it. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the first time I seen him be really emotional. As soon as we got in the car, he was just crying. Um, because he never uh, wanted me to get into the community sector because he thought community service was like what people do: pick up rubbish and paint walls and. <laughs> like that's the mentality in, in like Tongans is that if you're yeah. doing community work, oh, you're like the lowest of lows, you know, you're serving us. That's the mentality. And, and when I reckon, when you yeah. see me get that award, he's like, there's more to it, isn't it? And I said, there's more, you're helping. I'm like, I'm like to my dad, I may not be the doctor you wanted to save lives, but I'm saving young people's lives. Like, you don't understand. This is a whole different ball game, and this is more valuable mm. than sorry stuff is always thing, but I say it's more valuable than stuff because we're you know we're implementing seeds into these young people. We're speaking life. It's so different. It's so, so yeah, different. Yeah, and I go and I'm approach. like, we need to change that mentality, and I'm help. I want to change the mentality in our community that this work, this type of work, is not just butterflies and you know looking after kids. It's not dating. We don't do that. We do yeah. a whole different yeah, yeah. game and. Like for him to understand that he's just like absolutely do love what you do. And he really got yeah, he got emotional. Like, I never thought that you would get an award like this. I never thought I'd be standing at the governor's house and then he's just like good work. <laughs> and you're you're looking at him going, I don't know. Oh my god, I I didn't expect any yeah, of it. Yeah. But yeah, that was my favorite award. It's it's still up in his um in his room, he doesn't want to take it down. I'm like, oh, up to you. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so you like, so you win that award, and then you and you know you continue on working uh, for the for the council, for the local council. So, I, I want to touch on one other thing um, before we wrap it up. How do you how do you how do you do? What do you enjoy? How do you, how do you do self care? Like, what's? I, I mean, I don't really like the term self care because I think it's like a clinical kind of like how do you do self-care kind of thing um but like you know i know you spoke a little bit about the boxing side of things or, or keeping fit and those kind of things what do you what do you do for fun what's what's the non-serious laugh joking side of you? For, for my work or life in general Oh, life in general. Oh, life in general. Oh, I don't know. Hey, uh, spoken a lot about. I know work. we did. How about we leave that one out of there? Man, I've been so obviously. Yeah, so self care is is known as being selfish. You can't have time to yourself, especially when you're our family. You can't do that. You can't, you know, can't be selfish like that. So, but the fun part of it is that I'm starting to teach my family and my cousins and stuff like that. The the best the why it's important and why daily affirmations are need to be done and why we need to be more open with each other. Um, so that's fun. I, I guess, you know, I get to run workshops with them and they've been joining uh, my um, side things that I do. So I run like a side mentoring for 
women, poly women who are healing in the process of healing or finding themselves. Um, and that's called You Are Queen. And it's a queen vibe. So teaching them nice. to be queens and, and um, healing with dignity. Because you know? what I've been seeing is that a lot of our poly uh, young women think that they know how to heal, but they haven't really discovered why they're distressing themselves with that voice. And we end up coming out of certain situations more bitter or just more worse than what we were at the start. So it's that mentality of deleting the old me and I'm going to become new, but it's not. It's basically how can you become the best version, including your old you and growing from that to become the best version of yourself. So with yeah. that, so you're talking about- yeah, so just talking about getting spiritually, mentally, physically healthy. Um, and so, yeah, we do we do boxing out on the beach. I take them out, we get to the beach. Um, I hold them account. Uh, we do this thing where we hold each other accountable. Like if we set goals for that week and we're not getting up at five and we're going for jobs and stuff, we make them do extra steps. Like boxing. I, I, do it, I give them that discipline because I'm like, if you can't hold yourself accountable for what you're doing wrong, then we can't, you know what I mean? How you to push forward in life. Um, so yeah, so it's about 15 young young girls from the ages of 17 to about 25, and they're all dealing from different situations. Um, but like I said, I'm like, yeah, like I tell them, I'm like, we're in this together. We're healing all together. So this is our, we're, we're queens, we're queen wives type of thing. So that's why if you see on my social medias, I'm always posting up daily affirmations. That's them holding me accountable for, for me sharing my day. So just because I'm okay does not mean that I stop and help other people. Yeah, so that's oh. fun doing that. I love I love um, doing that type of stuff. Uh, what else? Yeah, so a lot of I don't know. I ha- um, do a lot of modeling. People say <laughs> I love the good model, but I only do that to promote other poly businesses. So again, that's another side of my community work. Um, yeah, just been yeah helping a lot of more politicians with their PR stuff. So implementing what I learned at school and just doing a few marketing things. That's it. That's what I do. I'll wrap it. I'll wrap it up. It's it's um it's been like it's nothing short of what I expected um, in terms of this podcast. Um, a lot of talking (laughs) I know like I said nothing short of what I expected (laughs) put you in a meeting oh what's Martha got to say and then put you on a podcast I'm like maybe we need to just set up our meetings like a podcast (laughs) (laughs) but no look on a serious note I have to um, say thanks. Thanks for jumping on um, and being, you know, as open and transparent as you've been. Um, one of the things I really enjoy about these things is that I just get to learn. I get to learn about those little stories that are really mm. cool. Um, and so, um, and you know, like I said, often we don't hear um, or understand the context of people's situation. And we only see them on a face-to-face. Really cool thing from my perspective is that I get to go around and sit, and sit down with all these people. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that about you. 
oh, you know, and so when I'm talking to someone else, I'm like, oh, you should go and ask Sansa about like that experience because I think you'll, you know, like it's pretty yeah. cool. Um, and so I really, I really enjoyed, I uh, really enjoyed being able to hold the space with you. Um, but uh, any, I just thought I'd give you a last chance, any sort of like last reflections, maybe, you know, what would you say to the younger version of yourself? Oh, I like that one. Uh, I would say to the younger version of myself, just keep going. Don't give up and mm. listen to your parents. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we're done. We're <laughs> that's that's gonna be a perfect. <laughs> 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 <laughs>